The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of my fabulous sponsors or advertisers. Any content provided by our bloggers or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. This disclaimer was provided by DisclaimerTemplate.com. All right, you guys, it's Friday, Afro April 30th, the last day of Afro April. All right, you guys, now it is currently 12 a.m., so it is the very beginning of April 30th. So, what I'm gonna do today. I'm just going to kind of give you guys a little preview because we're going to switch it up for me. We really are. We're going to talk about something that I'm actually. And I'm going to learn about it. And while I'm learning about it, I'm going to take you guys on that journey. Now, I'm going to give you a little backstory about me. I love to learn stuff. The more stuff I learn, the better I feel. And I know that I don't know everything about everything. So you guys are about to go on a little journey with me while I learn about something. I'm not going to tell you what it is because after all, this is just Miss Rose. And one thing about me that's not going to change, I'm random. And I'm going to stay random. I'm not. I refuse to be predictable. <laughs> if I become be predictable, there's an issue. Now, I'll be back in a minute after this brief pause for the cause. And we will start talking. Okay, donkey smokies. All right. Did I tell you I love you so much for listening? All right. I'll be right back. Mwah. Warning, some listeners may find the following content highly disturbing and controversial. Listener discretion is advised. All right, my loyal listeners, we are back and we are on a website, diversity.berkeley.edu. It's the UC of Berkeley's website. This category is diversity, and this is entitled The Impact of Slavery Today. Here are a few resources to learn more about the ongoing impact of slavery. We offer this as a place to start. Why Juneteenth, and there's a list of hyperlinks here. Why Juneteenth is a celebration of hope. Five things people still get wrong about slavery. 
ex-slaves talk about slavery in the USA, breaking down the 1619 Project and history of slavery in America with Nicole Hannah-Jones. How the legacy of slavery affects the mental health of black Americans today. Post-traumatic slave syndrome. How is it different from PTSD? The U.S. medical system is still haunted by slavery. Tulsa's Black Wall Street Massacre. Mass incarceration. Envisioning a moral future featuring Michelle Alexander. I'm going to click on the link. Five things people still get wrong about slavery. That is taking me to the website vox.com, V-O-X.com. All right. Five things people still get wrong about slavery. We asked historians to debunk slavery's greatest myths. This was written by Karen Turner and Jessica Machado or Machado. August 22nd, 2019, 11:10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. In August 1619, the first ship with 20 and odd enslaved Africans arrived on the shores of Virginia. 400 years later, we look back at this moment as the start of an enduring relationship between the founding of the United States and the unconscionable exploitation of the enslaved. In a sweeping project published by the New York Times Magazine, this month, exploring the legacy of slavery, Nicole Hannah-Jones wrote, The enslaved and their descendants transformed the lands to which they'd been bought into some of the most successful colonies in the British Empire. But it would be historically inaccurate to reduce the contributions of black people to the vast material wealth created by our bondage. Black Americans have also been and continue to be foundational to the ideal of American freedom. Yet, centuries later, the lasting impact of slavery continues to be minimized and myths continue to flourish. For instance, there's the erasure of the many slave revolts and rebellions that happened throughout the nation perpetuating the lie that the enslaved were docile or satisfied with their conditions. There's also the persistent idea that black labor exploitation is over. When mass incarceration still keeps millions of black Americans behind bars and often working for wages that amount to less than a dollar an hour, then there's that the ideal that our understanding of slavery is accurate based on what we learned in history textbooks when in reality misinformation continues to be taught in our public schools about slavery's legacy. To unpack what often gets mistold or misunderstood, we asked five historians to debunk the biggest myths about slavery. Here's what they said in their own words. Number one, the myth that slaves never rebelled. 
Miseducation surrounding slavery in the U.S. has led to an elaborate mythology of half-truths and missing information. One key piece of missing information, I'm sorry, one key piece of missing history concerns slave revolts. Few history books or popular media portrayals of the transatlantic slave trade discuss the many slave rebellions that occurred throughout America's early history. C.L.R. James, A History of Pan-African Revolt, C.L.R. James, James's, okay, C.L.R. James's, a History of Pan-African Revolt describes many small rebellions such as the Stono Plantation insurgent, Insurgents of September 1739 in the South Carolina colony where a small group of enslaved Africans first killed two guards. Others joined them as they moved to nearby plantations, setting them afire and killing about two dozen enslavers, especially violent overseers. Nat Turner's August 1831 uprising in Southampton, Virginia, where some 55 to 65 enslavers were killed and their plantations burned, serves as another example. Enslaved Africans resisted and rebelled against individual slaveholders and the system of slavery as a whole. Some slipped away secretly to learn to read. Many simply escaped. Others joined the abolitionist movements, wrote books, and gave lectures to the public about their experiences in captivity. And others led or participated in open combat against their captors. Omitting or minimizing these stories of rebellion helps hide the violent and traumatic experiences enslaved Africans endured at the hands of enslavers, which prompted such revolts. If we are unaware of resistance, it is easier for us to believe the enslaved were happy, docile, or that their conditions were not inhumane. It then becomes easier to dismiss economic and epigenic, epigenetic legacies of the transatlantic slave system. Dale Allender is an associate professor at California State University, Sacramento. Number two, the myth that house slaves had it better than field slaves. While physical labor in the fields was excruciating for the enslaved, clearing land, planting, and harvesting that often destroyed their bodies, that didn't negate the physical and emotional violence enslaved women and sometimes men and children suffered at the hands of enslavers in their homes. In fact, rape of black women by white enslavers was so prevalent that a 2016 study revealed 16.7% of African Americans' ancestors can be traced back to Europe. One of the study's authors concludes that the first African Americans to leave the South were those genetically related to the men who raped their mothers, grandmothers, and or great-grandmothers. 
These were the enslaved African Americans within the closest proximity to and who spent the longest durations with white men, the ones who toiled in the house houses of slave owners. A 2015 study determined that 50% of rape survivors develop PTSD. It is hard to imagine that enslaved and freedom-seeking African-American survivors of rape, female, male, old, young, no matter their physical or mental abilities, did not experience further anxiety, fear, and shame associated with a condition they could not control in a situation out of control. Those African Americans with the most European ancestry, those tormented mentally, physically, emotionally, and genetically in the house, knew they had to get out. In fact, they fled the farthest. Southern whites are more closely related to blacks now living in the North than the South. All right, y'all, we're going to... Oh, Jason Allen is a public historian and dialogue facilitator working at nonprofits, hospitals, and businesses in New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia. We'll be right back. Number three, the myth that abolition was the end of racism. A common myth about American slavery is that when it ended, white supremacy or racism in America also ended. Recently, Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell offered a familiar variant of this myth when he said he opposed reparations for something that happened 150 years ago. To the Kentucky Republican, a descendant of enslavers, slavery simply was, and then it just wasn't, as though the battlefield had leveled the playing field when it came to race. But the truth is that long after the Civil War, white Americans continue to carry the same set of white supremacist beliefs that governed their thoughts and actions during slavery and into the post-emancipation era. In the South especially, whites retained an enslaver mentality. They embraced sharecropping and convict leasing to control black labor in late 19th century, enacted Jim Crow laws to regulate black behavior in the early 20th century, and used racial terror to police the color line to this day. In the North, whites also rejected racial equality. After emancipation, they refused to make abandoned and confiscated land available to freedmen because they believed that African Americans would not work without white supervision. And when African Americans began fleeing Dixie during the Great Migration, white Northerners instituted their own brand of Jim Crow, segregating neighborhoods and refusing to hire black workers on a non-discriminatory basis. Slavery's legacy is white supremacy. The ideology 
which rationalized bondage for 250 years, has justified the discriminatory treatment of African Americans for the 150 years since the war ended. The belief that black people are less than white people has made segregated schools acceptable, mass incarceration possible, and police violence permissible. This makes the myth that slavery had no lasting impact extremely coincidental. I'm sorry. This makes the myth that slavery had no lasting impact extremely consequential. Denying the persistence and existence of white supremacy obscures the root causes of the problems that continue to plague African Americans. As a result, policymakers fixate on fixing black people instead of trying to undo the discriminatory systems and structures that have resulted in separate and unequal education, voter suppression, health disparities, and a wealth gap. Something did happen 150 years ago. Slavery ended. But the institution's influence on American racism and its continued impact on African Americans is still felt today. Hassan Kwame, I mean, I'm sorry, Hassan Kwame Jeffries is an associate professor at Ohio State University. Number four, the myth that history class taught us everything we needed to know about slavery. Many of us first learned about slavery in our middle or high school history classes, but some of us learned much earlier in elementary school, through children's books, or even Black History Month curriculum and programs. Unfortunately, we don't always learn the entire story. Most of us only learned partial truths about slavery in the United States. After the Civil War and Reconstruction, many in the North and South wanted to put an end to continuing tensions. But this wasn't done just through the Compromise of 1877, when the federal government pulled the last troops out of the South. It was also done by suppressing the rights of black Americans and elevating the so-called lost cause of the enslavers. The lost cause is a distorted version of Civil War history. In the the decades after the war, a number of Southern historians began to write that slaveholders were noble and had the right to succeed from the Union when the North wished to interfere with their way of life. Due to the efforts, I'm sorry, due to efforts by a group of Southern socialites known as the United Daughters of the Confederacy, lost cause ideology influenced history textbooks, as well as books for children and adults. The accomplishments of black Americans involved in the abolition movement, such as Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, Maria W. Stewart, Henry Highland Garnett, and William Still were downplayed. 
Union generals like Ulysses S. Grant were denigrated. Denigrated. As were anti-racist whites from John Brown to William Lloyd Garrison. Generations later, there are still many people around the country who believe the Civil War was about states' rights and that slaves who had good masters were treated well. Even an accurate historical curriculum emphasizes progress, triumph, and optimism for the country as a whole, without taking into account how slavery continues to affect black Americans and and influence present-day domestic policy from urban planning to health care. It does not emphasize that 12 of the first 18 presidents were enslavers, that enslaved Africans from particular cultures were prized for their skills from rice cultivation to metallurgy, and that enslaved people used every tool at their disposal to resist bondage and seek freedom. From slavery to Jim Crow to civil rights to the first black president, the black American story is forced into the story of the unassailable American dream, even when the truth is more complicated. Given what we learn about slavery, when we learn it and how, it is clear that everyone still has much more to learn. Teaching Tolerance and Teaching for Change are two organizations that have been wrestling with how we introduce this topic to our young. And what they are learning is that the way forward is to unlearn. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas is an associate professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Number five, the myth that slavery doesn't exist today. One of the greatest myths about slavery is that it ended. In fact, it evolved into its modern form, mass incarceration. The United States has the highest prison population in the world. More than 2.2 million Americans are incarcerated. 4.5 million are on probation or parole. African Americans, African Americans make up roughly 13% of the general population. But black men, women, and youth have outsized representation in the criminal justice system, where they make up 34% of the 6.8 million people who are under its control. Their labor is used to produce goods and services for businesses that profit from prison labor. For those of us who study the early history of mass incarceration in America, these statistics are not surprising. From the late 1860s through the 1920s, over 90% of the prison and jail populations of the South were black. We'll be right back. For those of us who study the early history of mass incarceration in America, these statistics are not surprising. 
From the late 1860s through the 1920s, over 90% of the prison and jail populations of the South were black. Thousands of incarcerated men, women, and children were hired out by the state to private factories and farms for a fee. From sunup to sundown, they worked under the watchful eye of brutal whipping bosses who flogged, mauled, and murdered them. They earned nothing for their toil. For their toil. Today, labor exploitation, the denial of human dignity, and the right to citizenship, family separation, and violent punishment define our criminal justice system in ways that mirror slavery. Hundreds of thousands of incarcerated people work. According to a 2017 report published by the Prison Policy Initiative, the average of the minimum daily wages paid to incarcerated workers for non-industry prison jobs is now 86 cents. Those assigned to work for state-owned businesses, correctional industries, correctional industries earn between 33 cents and a dollar 41 cents per hour. In in 2018, incarcerated Americans held a nationwide strike to end prison slavery. In a list of demands, striking individuals called for all persons imprisoned in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction to be paid the prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor. This is a year to remember slavery's origins. It is also an opportunity to critique its legacies. Let's not get so caught up in our efforts to commemorate slavery's beginning that we fail to advocate for its end. Talita LaFlora is the Lisa Smith Discovery Associate Professor at the University of Virginia. Correction, an earlier version misstated the range of presidents who were enslavers. It was 12 of the first 18 presidents, not 12 of the first 16. Okay. Listen to Today Explained. Kids in school don't learn much about American slavery. Professor Hassan Kwame Jeffries says students deserve the real story. Looking for a quick way to keep up with the never-ending news cycle? Host Sean Ramswaram will guide you through the most important stories at the end of each day. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you listen to to podcasts. Okay? Now, they're trying to ask for a $3 contribution on Vox. Not doing that today. Maybe some other day. But in the meantime and between time, you guys, this is going to be the conclusion of this episode of Just Miss Rose. I appreciate your listenership. Have a fabulous last day of April. I'll see you in May. Oh, and don't forget to check out my sister station as the massage table turns. And... Stay tuned for a special episode of Just Miss Rose. Thank you so much.
Thank you.